in what we learned today. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we come in the name of the blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus, who is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And we glorify your name. Lord, we desire that you take this portion of your word and incite us to faithfulness. Incite us, O Lord, to further righteousness and holiness in Christ. Lord, gospel sanctification. Lord, we pray that not only would we would learn how to pray, but that we would desire to pray. Lord, that we would learn to praise your name and give you, Lord, all that is rightfully your glory. Lord, bless us here this morning as we preach the word. Bless us this morning as we receive the word. And be among us. And let your presence be a saving presence, a sanctifying presence, an encouraging and hopeful presence. And we bless your name in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, your Bible's open to Matthew chapter 6. I want to begin reading from verse 9 down through verse 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. And after this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. And you may be seated. Brothers and sisters, this morning, this morning's sermon will conclude the series on the Lord's Prayer. I hope it has been beneficial for you. I hope it has at least highlighted some weaknesses you may have had in the past about prayer, concerning prayer. That you have had an opportunity to think about prayer on Uh, at least a a regular basis to increase your prayer life. That not only that as you learn how to pray, that you would want to pray. You would desire to pray. That you would desire as a Christian, one who confesses the name of the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would desire to pray in His name, through His name, for His name, and that you would commune with our Heavenly Father because of the blessed work, the saving work of Jesus Christ. We must become prayer warriors. We must be prayerful people. It is undeniable that the Word of God demonstrates over and over God's people, they pray. And they pray at times a lot. A lot. They are seeking God's face. They are seeking God's blessing. They are seeking God's forgiveness. They are seeking God's glory. They seek God's power. They seek His name to be manifested in their lives, brothers and sisters. And that should be our desire. 
It should be our own personal desire. It should be our desire in our homes to see our marriages conform to the blessed glory of God. That our uh, family relationships would be a blessing to the name of our God. That our activities, our occupations, our callings would all bless His name. And that we would even move through this life and all of its pitfalls and all of its traps and all of its darkness, we would still move in this life and in these various associations in the glory of His name. That takes prayer. It takes prayer. A prayerless Christian is going to be a weak Christian, a weaker Christian. We certainly all are weak, aren't we? It's going to be a weaker Christian. A prayerless Christian is going to be a a hardened Christian. Numb to the things of God. The less you pray, the more you are going to find it, the, the, the easier you will find it not to worship. Or to worship insincerely. Not to, not to enjoy the hymns and the songs and the, the reading of Scripture. The, the, all, of, all of these things, brothers and sisters, are connected to the prayer life of a Christian. And the only way to gain that strength of prayer is to exercise it. It's to exercise it. You want to be a prayer warrior? You want to pray more? Start praying. And the more you exercise that spiritual muscle, the more you will find the, 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 the more reality of your, in your life you'll find prayer. It'll be there. It'll be something you start doing spontaneously. It'll be something you do regularly. It'll even be something where maybe you begin even to set times of prayer. There'll be great jubilations given in your head and heart to praise and prayer to God. But you will never get there unless you begin to exercise that spiritual muscle. Even the reading of Scripture, brothers and sisters, often is so cold and um, unfamiliar to us because we lack prayer to season the reading of the Word of God. Our good works to one another often just become just things we do because, well, we're supposed to. These things, these good works are the things Christians do. And we do them because we claim to be Christians, but they're not done with a warmness, with a, 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 a love. They're not done with a desire for the benefit and the well-being of the person we're acting on. Why? Because we like prayer. We like prayer. We haven't seasoned our good works prayerfully. So many difficulties we may have in our our relationships, so much of that is because of a lack of prayer. Now I'm only going to say this, and I'm going to begin to get to the text itself. But you see, brothers and sisters, one of the things prayer will always do is when we go to God and we begin to beseech Him in any circumstance. Let's take a relationship, for example. When we begin to pray for God's blessing upon a relationship, one of the things we're going to be confronted with is ourselves. You know, it's so easy outside of prayer to think that person is the problem. 
It's the, 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 the character issues, the idiosyncrasies, right? And when we begin to pray for grace and we begin to pray for strength and we begin to praise God's name, one of the things that we see in all of that is how he has blessed us, how he has so comforted us, how in all of our weakness and our idiosyncrasies, he has been our God. And that helps tenderize us when we go in our relationships to deal with one another. Prayer, brothers and sisters, is the the key to so much success in your life, if not all of it. Prayer. Well, let's begin our text. Begin looking at our text. And I want you to notice that this is the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. And you may not have this portion that I'm going to deal with in your Bibles. The, the, the portion that I'm going to deal with in verse 13 is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now that's the portion of the Lord's Prayer that I'm going to address this morning. And some of your modern translations don't have that section, they exclude it. And they exclude it on the reason that many manuscripts, the original, or not the original, we don't have the the original that were penned by Matthew or any of the other apostles, but the copies of those originals, there are many of the copies of those original manuscripts that don't include this phrase. This section of Scripture. Now you may think, well, that's a huge problem. Well, not necessarily. And that is, it is probable, and I think highly probable, that some scribe at some time in some place did include this doxology or conclusion, if you will, to the Lord's Prayer. That is, the scribe amended the Lord's Prayer with these words. Now that should not shock you. And if it does, listen to me. That's not uncommon for a scribe to do. Because some of it may depend upon the day in which that scribe is writing or copying the manuscript. And as the scribe takes a small liberty not to change the doctrine, not changing the teaching of the Lord's Prayer, not changing the manner of the Lord's Prayer or the scheme of the Lord's Prayer. But if you look at it, all he's doing is enhancing or highlighting what has already been stated in the Lord's Prayer. And he would do this in the mindset of thinking that it would be useful to close this glorious teaching of Christ in doxology. I don't think I can fault him for that, and I hope you would not fault a scribe for doing that. But you may find in your Bible, it's omission. And I particularly like it being there. Well, first of all, it's the way I memorized it. I like it being there. Secondly, I think it's fitting, and I think it's appropriate And that's why we're going to learn it this morning. Now, brothers and sisters, the conclusion or the closing of the Lord's Prayer teaches us 
one vital truth. And that truth is this. That we should couple praise with our prayer. Praise with our prayer. That is, we should learn as Christians to learn to praise His name when we pray to Him. Now you may think you do that and that you do it really well. But even if you do, can you not improve on it? Can you not improve on it? And I think as we look at what the doxology says, I think we would all agree we can improve on it. We should improve on it. And in fact, we should spend a great amount of our time praising God's name. Now let's look at the doxology or the praise in detail. First of all, notice, or I want to draw your attention to, what it says, first of all, notice the phrase begins with, For thine is the kingdom, the glory, or the power and the glory. For thine is. Now this is a reason to praise Him for these qualities. And that is they belong to Him. Well, they are God's qualities. And they are His in an exclusive way. I want you to think about, for they are, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. For these things, as they belong to God, and because they belong to God, because they are His, because He possesses them, and He possesses them in an exclusive, glorious manner, they are meaningful to us. We are His children. Remember, it is by the Spirit and in the name of Christ that we are created or recreated new creations in His image. In His image. They belong to God and they are meaningful to Him. They are important to Him. They are His qualities. They are His glories, if you will. And they should be meaningful to us. You might think we shouldn't have to mention this, but I think it's important that we do. And that is this, that, you know, if it's important to the Father, typically it's important to the children. You know, that is true, isn't it? The things we like to do, our hobbies, the interests, the things we give ourselves to, oftentimes our children follow right along. Daughters often follow the footsteps of the mother. Sons often follow the footsteps, or the sons often follow uh, follow the footsteps of the Father. It's common. It's natural. I think it's good. Unless it's, you know, evil. How much more Christians spiritually ought to walk in the paths of Christ, ought to, ought to seek God's face, to want to be like Him, things that He is interested in, things that He is, you could use this term, excited about, the things that He reveals to us ought to be, if they are important enough to Him to reveal it to us, then shouldn't they be important to us as His children? See, these qualities that are being highlighted in this doxology, they are His qualities. They are His. You know, if I were to leave my Bible on the floor, or my Bible had somehow fallen on the floor, and it was there upon the floor, how many of you would just walk by 
Pastor Stanfield's Bible without picking it up and returning it to me? Probably none of you. And you would say, well, that's Pastor Stanfield's Bible. This is something that's meaningful to him. I should return his possession. Now, that's the, a minor illustration of what I'm talking about here. These qualities, these attributes, these, this glory belongs to God. And because it belongs to God, it's important to us. It's important to us. And we don't want to see God, we don't want to see, we don't want to hear lies about God, do we? It should make us sad. It should make us even angry. We should develop a righteous anger when we begin to see people accusing God of things He's not guilty of. Taking His name, blaspheming His name, blaspheming His work. Philosophies of men that rob God of His glory. Take the doctrine of creation versus evolution. The philosophy of evolution It's a philosophy. It's not a science. It's a philosophy of man. It's it's man's way of skirting around the, the glory God is due because he's creator. It's a way in which man kind of puts off the responsibility he has being made in the image of God, being put in his creation in order to serve and worship him and give him glory. Because man doesn't want to do that. He must create for himself a reason we exist. And thus evolution is alive and well in this country. It's not just alive and well among pagans. It is a lot, it's a philosophy that does affect and infect many minds and hearts of Christians. These are God's qualities. They matter. And they ought to matter to us. When we begin to couple praise with our praying, then we're going to have to learn, oh God, these things belong to you and no one else. Let me give you an example of what I mean when I say that these qualities are God's exclusively. Now, it doesn't mean that men don't, uh, don't possess dominion. That there aren't rulers in the land as kings have a dominion. No, but God's dominion and kingdom are exclusive. That is, they do, He derives that authority from no one other than Himself. All men rule by the hand and will of God Almighty. He delegates. He appoints. He gives man the, the, the authority. He gives man the, the ability to rule and to have dominion. He sets the boundary marks of their authority. And all authority we have as men, as women, as sons and daughters of any family, we have a limited domain. A limited domain. God's is exclusive and sovereign and over everything. He made all that is in existence outside of Himself. He made everything. He created it by speaking a word, a creative word, demonstrating His power, His, the manifestation of the earth and the universe and the galaxies and the solar system. The psalmist says, all declare His glory. His glory. 
Because He's revealed Himself in a creative fashion, in a creative way. His, His creation reveals His glory, His power, His nobility, His integrity, His wisdom, His goodness. And we should stand in awe of that revelation. It's His exclusively. God's power is His exclusively, like His kingdom. Remember, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All wealth belongs to Him. There's nothing nothing outside His disposal, David. Nothing. He can take and use everything as He pleases, when when He pleases, in whichever way He pleases. He has the power to create out of nothing. It's exclusively as in any power we have is what? Derived from Him. Derived from Him. Interestingly enough, so many people today say, well, you know, I've got, you know, marriages are no longer covenants of love, but business relationships. The raising of children are nothing more than, than economic considerations versus covenants a covenant marriage in the bonds of love creating children for the Lord God Almighty. You know your children belong to God. They are His children. And you children need to understand that. That's why Paul says that it is your duty to honor your father and mother. Why? Because all power and glory belong to Him. What does He say? Now you should honor them. He tells us who to honor. That's why we honor men of nobility and of integrity. It is honorable to recognize men and women of integrity. It's honorable and it's the right thing to do to to ascribe some, some limited glory to men and women and young people who do the right thing, particularly when they do the right thing in the harshest situations, the most difficult situations. They're to be honored But all this power is exclusively God's. He doesn't ask permission. He doesn't doesn't need permission. God doesn't need permission to raise up a king. He doesn't need permission to tear down a kingdom. He doesn't need permission to destroy the, the, the idolatry of the land. He doesn't need permission to close down false places of worship. God does not need anyone's permission. That's why Job said where. That's why the book of Job, when God comes to him, he says, where were you, Job, when I set the boundaries of the oceans? Where were you? Where were you when I performed my mighty deeds and acts? Who was my counselor? That's what we mean by exclusively God's power. And of course, His glory. Mentioning that a little bit, we know, right, that there is an honor and a glory that has been delegated to men, and it's fine to honor them. But it's never fine to worship them. It's mitigated. It's limited. There's the glory of God and then there's everything else. And God doesn't share that glory that belongs to Him exclusively with any pastor, with any church, with any denomination, with any institution, or with any political party. That's what I mean. 
but they are exclusively his. Let's look at the first quality mentioned in this doxology, and that is the kingdom of God. Notice what he says, for thine is the kingdom. Now, brothers and sisters, the kingdom is a domain. It's a dominion. And we've already learned that in the Lord's Prayer, we ought to what pray? That thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Why should we as Christians pray for the coming of God's kingdom? Why should we now ascribe praise to God for His kingdom? Because, beloved, the Bible teaches us that it's a kingdom of glory. It's a kingdom of splendor. It's a kingdom of majesty. It's a kingdom of wisdom. It's a kingdom of righteousness. It's a kingdom of goodness. I mean, we all watch the news or we all listen to some various internet articles or read internet articles and we hear the talk among the the people that we uh, have associations with and we disagree with this policy and that policy and all of these various things. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that God's kingdom is a holy and righteous kingdom. It's a kingdom that rests upon the foundations of justice and goodness and wisdom. And the more we learn about God's kingdom, the more we will pray, Oh, Thy kingdom come. Oh, Thy kingdom come. Come, Lord, in the power of the gospel. Bring Thy kingdom. Bring it. We may consider ourselves some affiliated with some political group versus another political group and all of that is what it is. But I'm going to tell you this, as Christians, as Christians, you better exercise your mind to God's kingdom. God's kingdom. What do you want out of this life but the kingdom come? That he be glorified in his kingdom. Let's look at a few passages of scripture. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 45. I just want to point out in this psalm, this description that the psalmist has or the the ascribing of the psalmist to God's majesty. His majesty. His kingdom. And I have to ask ourselves, are we like this psalmist? Where do we fit in in degree to the ascription, to ascribing God this, this kingdom and the glory of this kingdom? Look at Psalm 45. It says, My heart is overflowing when a good theme. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, and with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Look at verse 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of the kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness, hate wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, had anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. 
I'm going to stop there. Just, just pointing out what. And there are so many other Psalms. Psalm 93, Psalm 96, Psalm 98. That are, that are in our Bibles to teach us this, the, the glory of the majesty of this king and his kingdom. Where are we? Where are we concerning that glory? How do we relate to that glory? Is it something that we don't want? Something that we don't desire? Why is it? How do we relate to it? How do we understand it? I mean, look at the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We see in John's vision, he is, in, he is given this privilege of, in, of going to the throne room. And there he witnesses, he sees the glory of this king. And he watches the elders and the living creatures and the angels surrounding this king ascribe to him glory and honor and majesty and might. Look at verse 11. And I beheld and I heard a voice of many angels around about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. Heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said amen and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Amen. And that's the heart and the mind of a Christian about God's kingdom. It's a glorious kingdom. It's a kingdom of, it is a kingdom of power. It's a kingdom of glory and majesty and might. Daniel's vision was the vision that out of all of these great kingdoms of the earth, there was going to come a very obscure kingdom, like a stone. These other kingdoms are like mountains, but there's this stone from heaven that comes and breaks through and, and what? Grows up mightier and larger and more grander than all the other mountains, all the other kingdoms. And that's the kingdom of the blessed Lord Jesus. Daniel witnesses the majesty, the glory, and the might of this kingdom, and he takes great assurance and delight that God is in control. That God is in control and he is, he is overruling, overriding in his kingdom all for his own glory. Remember we talked about temptation, how God uses his wisdom and he only allows those things to come into our lives. Number one, that we can bear and number two, that we can have a way out. Why? Because he's wise. He knows us perfectly and completely. He knows us. He knows our frame. He knows our constitutions. He knows our anxieties. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. And He rules in His kingdom in wisdom and goodness and righteousness and justice. And brothers and sisters, listen to me. As Christians, we should hate, we should hate unrighteousness everywhere we see it. 
It doesn't matter if it's with our friends. It doesn't matter if it's with our churches. It doesn't matter if it's with the political parties we like. It does not matter. We should hate and despise unrighteousness, injustices. We should hate it. And we should always seek to bring to bear in this world the kingdom of God's righteousness. And it better start in our own hearts. We don't want to be guilty of hypocrisy. It needs to start in our homes. It must be in our church. And it must flow from the throne of God's grace out into every area of our lives. We do not, brothers and sisters, we're going to pray for the kingdom to come. And we're going to praise God for His kingdom. Listen to me. Everything about us must conform to this blessed to the blessed God of glory. Everything. Everything. Don't minimize and excuse your own sins. Don't minimize the sins of your home. Don't minimize the sins of your family, your marriage, your children. Don't minimize the sin of your pastor and your church. Don't minimize any of that. Begin to beseech God for the coming of His kingdom and praise Him for what it is. What it is. Secondly, power. Well, let me say one more thing about the kingdom, and I think this is important. As I talk about God's kingdom, God's kingdom cannot be rounded up, fenced in, confined to any one group. It's not with the majority, and it's not with the minority. It's not with the largest, most affluent denominations in this land. It doesn't matter how much money they have in the bank. It doesn't matter how many people they have on their rolls. It does not matter because God's kingdom is beyond all that. And there's too many people that take greater delight in those things than in God's kingdom. We must learn, brothers and sisters, that success is not in a collective manner, wealth and population. Success is those who seek the kingdom of God in its purest sense. It is His kingdom, and it is for Him to do as He pleases. The second thing is power. Power. We need to learn to praise God for His power. Now, what is power? Now, as kingdom is the dominion or the domain of His reign and rule, power is related to His liberty. His liberty or ability. That is, we may see that the mom and dad are, you know, they have more power than the children. Why? They have greater liberties than the children. They have greater uh, prosperity. They have greater um, resources to do what they want to do. Children are confined, right? They're limited because, number one, they need permission. Number two, they don't have the resources. And number three, they don't have the know-how to do much, most of what they want to do as we grow. That is this. Well, don't you think about it in God's power. See, we have a relation. You know, these are powerful people. Typically, we ascribe this, this adulation, if you will, this, this power to people that are what? Very wealthy very wealthy. Why? Because they seem to have unlimited resources, humanly speaking, and they can use those resources to do anything that they want done or to have done. 
And we call them powerful people. Well, God, now I want you to take that mindset. Now let's apply it to God. God is all-powerful, and His power is exclusive to Himself. God has the ability and the freedom, and it is only limited by His character and nature. That is, God does not, cannot do everything. But God can only do what? His holy and perfect will. The only thing that mitigates and limits this exclusive power of God is His holiness. And that's why we can relish in God's power. You know, you've heard the saying, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, that may apply to sinful men, but it does not apply to God. God is exclusively powerful. He's absolutely powerful. And God uses His power in all that He is. His character and nature mitigates and limits the use of His power in righteousness and justice. What does God see when He sees injustices? He comes to the aid of, of the weak and the pitiful, the, the widow and the orphan, to the poor. Those who would use and abuse, those who would, would be, who would exercise their power over their insignificant minority. God comes to their defense and he uses his power in a holy way. He uses his power, beloved, liberating us out of the kingdom of darkness. He took us out of the kingdom of darkness. He took us out of the hands of Satan. He removed from us the sentence of death in himself. He had the power to lay down his life. He had the power to take upon the sins of all of God's elect and take to himself all of God's wrath and bear that wrath and raise himself from the dead. That's power. He has the power to use that. He has the power and the ability and the liberty to use all of that power, that creative power, that holy power, that presence that displays His power, all for the good of God's glory, the blessed name of Jesus, and as Paul says, the good of the church. Oh, praise Him for His power. Ascribe to the Lord when you talk about God's power. Recite to Him how that power has affected your life and changed you. How that power has governed your circumstances. How God used that power to raise you from spiritual deadness. Deadness. And praise Him for it. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we served a God that did not have the power to save, what are we doing here this morning? What are we doing? He's all powerful. And God uses that power in the most blessed and benevolent ways to destroy the works of the deceiver, the wicked one, the murderer, the liar, the deceiver, and to build up a kingdom of righteousness. He uses His power. Look, notice, it's one thing, right? I could tell my family... We're going to take a, a three-month road trip, and I'm going to take you all over the country, through California, through all of the main. We're going to take three months, and we're going, to, we're going to enjoy and have all this pleasure seeing this country. And my family would look at me and laugh. 
I may have the desire to do that. I may have a strong desire to do it. But do I have the ability? Do I even have the freedom? Not at all. And they know it. For God not only has the will and desire for His holiness, His glory, His majesty, our good, but He has the power to accomplish it, to perform it. He has the power. He speaks. It's a powerful word. Oh, the the world even applauds the power and the majesty of God. The mountains clap their hands. The trees praise His name. The seas move in harmony and unity. The stars speak of His glory and His power. Why? Because they were set in the expanse by the voice of God. God's creation is seen in the Bible as applauding and rejoicing and praising God for His power. The lions wait for their meal from God. (laughs) It was the power of God that moved Abraham to listen to the voice of God says, Abraham, take thy son, thy only son, and go to a place where I will show you and offer him up in my name. Hebrews tells us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer of Hebrews says that it was Abraham who offered up his son by faith knowing that God had the power to raise the dead. Do you know God's power? Huh? You know God's power? Is it changing your life? Is it sanctifying you? You praise God for it? Why did Daniel... Not read the edict of the king and say that all citizens of the kingdom should pray to the king and nothing and no one else. And Daniel opened up his windows and he got upon his knees and he turned his face to the east and he said, Oh, heavenly Father. And he began to pray. Why? Because he was foolish, he was stubborn. He was anti-authoritarian? No. He's a rebel? No. Because he knew that God had the power to do as he pleases. And God spared Daniel. And they cast him into the lion's den. And they touched him not. Because God has the power to tell the animals what to do. And they do it. Paul gives us a list of things that display the power of God in his life. I've been whipped. I've been stoned. I've been left for dead. I've been shipwrecked. I've been bit by a snake. It's a poisonous snake. And yet I'm here preaching the gospel, writing the epistles to strengthen the church of Jesus Christ. I am, my life is a living testimony of the power of God. I should be dead. I should be dead. I should not be here. But it's by the powerful hand of God that I write, that I pray, that I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's by the power of God. It was John on the Isle of Patmos being exiled for being a Christian that he saw the vision of what? All the earth bowing their knees to the heavenly Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has all power and authority. 
Oh, you're going to bow. Oh, you will bow. Oh, you will bow. It's so many. It is so clear in the Bible of the power of God, and yet it is so pitiful that the church is so anemic. It's almost like the church is just putting all of its eggs in the pastor's basket or in the session or in the denomination they're in or all the affluence and all the money they have. In the no, 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 that matters. It's by the powerful hand of God that things happen. It's His power that causes men to come alive. It's the power that God gives the gospel that makes it effectual. You know, right now, this sermon right here, it's nothing without the power of God. And only He can make it effectual to you. You praise Him for it. Thirdly, the glory. His glory. What is His glory? His glory is His honor, His adoration. It's, 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 the Old Testament idea of glory is weightiness. Heavy, heavy, weighty, honorable. He's owed adoration. He, he's... Uh, He's ascribed this glory, this weightiness, this, the, the, his qualities. I mean, I want you to think about, look what we have read, what we confessed about God, that he is unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful, gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. He's weighty, he's heavy, he's honorable. All the things that you that you see honorable in others, look how they are infinite in God. Infinite. And you may walk, may you teach your sons and you teach your daughters what to, you should teach them what to honor good men, honor good women. There are, there are people that are honorable. And there are people that are not worthy of honor. Listen, listen. Don't fall into the... That philosophy of egalitarianism that says, oh, we got to honor all men and all women equally and in every place. No, we don't. No, we, and we should not. And we should not. We should only honor those qualities that God has exclusively in Himself. At all cost. At all cost. Pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. Only Christians pick up their cross. As Christians, you may have to suffer for the name of Christ. This glory, brothers and sisters, can be seen in His presence. For where Christ is, there is honor and glory. Where Christ is in the midst of the church. He's in the midst. What is that? That's the place of honor. We shouldn't take surveys and, and perform, um, you know, uh, uh, elections to just do the will of God. Right? His will is primary. It's, the, it's, it's, it's not only primary, it's exclusive to the church. He's the head of the church. It is for His glory. It is all for His glory. Romans eleven thirty six. All things are for, to, and from Him and His glory. I could go through the book of Revelation and we could talk about God's glory I mean, in numerous passages of Scripture, we could go to Ephesians and talk about His glory, what His glory and power. I want you to think about the, the place of Ephesians. I want you to think, here's this place where there was all this witchcraft, all this demonic activity, and what do we see there? We see a church. 
we see light. We see grace that has pierced the curtain of darkness. And what does is, what is God do for His glory and for His name? What, His presence, He begins to save people. And He begins to draw His elect to Himself. And a church is established in the darkest of places. The darkest of places. That's His glory. His weightiness. His honor. And what does Christ teach us? He says, oh, if you honor me, I will honor you. Give me first rank. First rank is mine. First rank is mine. And as you, as you glorify me, as you honor me, there will be a bestowed limited glory for yourself. We can glory in the presence of God. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. I don't care what denomination you belong to. I don't care how many people are in your church. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. I don't care who your pastor is. If without the presence of God, there's no glory in that place. No glory. There's no true honor. It's nothing more than a club. It's nothing more than a habitation of men and women and families, but it is not glorifying to God. I don't care what it is. There's a second aspect of His glory, and that's His work. His work. Now, the Bible divides the work of God up in two classifications. Number one, His work of creation. And secondly, his work of recreation or salvation. Learn to ascribe glory to God's name as you talk about his creation, as you talk about salvation. You think Russia, you think China, oh, listen, let's just forget those places. Let's forget Russia. Let's forget Islam. Let's forget the religion of Israel. Let's forget China. Look, let's just talk about them. You think, do you think Darwinism's going to stay around forever? You think that? No. You, you think, you think the, the, the paganism that's rising up in this country right now is going to be around forever? No. You think this, this science of evolution or what they call science is going to be around forever? No, 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 uh-uh. Why? Because God's concerned with His glory, His honor, His weightiness, His adoration. And it would not be honor before Him to allow these things to continue on and on and on and on. For God will come and He will bring His glory, His presence, and He will destroy all that does not bring Him glory. He will destroy it. That's why the angels in heaven are what? Consumed with His honor. I wish I could be like angels. I wish you could be like the angels. The heaven. God says, Go! And they're gone. They are eaten up with his honor. They are eaten up with the zeal of his glory. And that's why they go from here and there doing whatever he asks. Why? Because he's good, he's righteous, he's just, he's never stupid. Why do you question him? Why do you question him when he is who he is? Thirdly, it's this glory of holiness. <laughs> Sin's not going to be around forever. In fact, Christ destroyed sin. He took the sting out of death. And the devil and his demons and all who relish and love sin are going to be cast into the lake of fire and sin and death with it. Why? Because on that last day, Christ is going to receive the ultimate glory due His name. Yeah. 
That's the consummation of history. That's where we're going. That's where we're all going. And we're going to be there. We're going to be there. You're all going to witness Christ receive all the honor and glory due to His name. And they're going to be all who fall before Him and praise His name. And not, and not in a, a delightful way. Because even, even the unbelieving will say that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they may do it with gritted teeth. They may do it with the gnashing of teeth. And they may do it with a heart that hates saying it. But they are going to say it. Because he's worthy of it. And it's inescapable. The inescapable honor and glory of God's name. Brothers and sisters, praise God. Learn to praise God for his glory. Ascribe to him glory. Give him the honor due his name. Think about it. Meditate on it. All of these things, his kingdom, his power, and his glory. And lastly, the duration. The duration. Notice, notice at the very end, what does it say? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for what? Forever. Ever. Amen. Duration. There's no end to it. It's without end. It's in God's. It's His power. It's His kingdom. It's His glory. It doesn't end. Ours is going to, you know, man's glory and power in all our domain, guess what? It's going to die. Not His. I mean, some of our last names are going to be gone forever when our children die. So, His name lives forever and ever. All of that we've worked hard, all of our possessions, all of these things that we've accumulated, all the things that we put all this interest in, everything that we've labored, blood, sweat, and tears, and all of the interest, guess what? It, it will come to nothing. And that's what Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, why do you lay up for yourself all these treasures on earth? Why will rust, moth, eat some up, thieves come and steal? Guess what? Lay them up in heaven. Lay them up in heaven. Have the right perspective. Let me, let me say something about this, the duration of ever and ever. You know, you can read a magazine article about any person, and you will get a, what, a summation. What's, a mag, what's the purpose of a magazine article? Just to give you the highlights. Generals of the individual being interviewed. And I think that's where most Christians are with our blessed God. They know some generals. But brothers and sisters, if you're going to know about the person, you're going to have to read his book. You've got to read the book, the biography. You've got to read the details. See, the magazine article doesn't tell you why they did what they did and how they did it. They don't give you the generals. And we as Christians are weak. We'll say, oh, God is powerful. Oh, God has a kingdom. Oh, God is glory. But yet we cannot praise him in a manner worthy of him because we've not read the book. We've not looked at the details. Why did God part the Red Sea? Why did God shut the mouths of the lions? Why did God raise his son from the dead? Why did God spare Paul's life multiple times? Why did, why did God allow the apostles to die the death of martyrs? 
Why did Paul go to Rome just to be beheaded? Why did God do these things? Read the book. And then you're going to learn to ascribe to God the glory and the honor due His name. Let's pray.